Hey guys, Wes, Patrick, and Ryan here. And what are we here to talk to you about today? Guess what? Still dancing with the Knoxville Stars. April 14th at the Knoxville Convention Center. What is dancing with the Knoxville Stars? According to this sheet of paper that I've written, it is a charity event for East Tennessee Children's Hospital in which I will be participating. There are eight of us so-called local celebrities. We are competing against each other for fundraising and for dancing prowess, two separate competitions. I intend to win both. However, if I only win one of them, I will live with that. Who else is dancing with us in this thing? It's myself. It's Leslie Ackerson from WBIR. It's Tyrone from Star 102.1. Heather Haley from WVLT. Laura Helm from WATE. Former Atlanta Falcons cheerleader Lisa Henderson. Local sports reporter and PR professional Sarah Mitchell. Also Dr. Amit Patel from East Tennessee Children's Hospital. And local art patron and philanthropist Sylvia Peters. Again, this event, guys, since 2007 has raised $735,000 for East Tennessee Children's Hospital, hoping to get over the $1 million mark this season. And how can you do that, guys? How can you get tickets? Because I know you want to go. Go Ryan and Patrick both want to go. Go to something.com. That's right. You go to etch.com slash dwtks, etch.com slash dwtks for $400. You can get a table for four. That includes complimentary champagne or... Let's say you're just you're just single. You want to go single, mingle. You want to see all the good-looking people dancing out there. Maybe score yourself a hot date. You can come solo for $75 a ticket. Or if you, you can't be there or you don't want to give that much money, you can just go straight to the website and you can just donate a couple bucks. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. ETCH.com slash DWTKS. Guys, what's that website? Something. I wasn't listening. Something.com. ETCH.com slash DWTKS, ETCH.com slash DWTKS. One more time, ETCH.com slash DWTKS. There was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee is to get us back to that point. All right. Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. Punched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning. Afternoon. Evening. Brunch time. Lunch time. Sister Jean not winning a national championship time. Masters time. Still spring football time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols. 24-7 podcast, Wes Rucker and Ryan Callahan and Patrick Brown coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio. Recording this on a Thursday evening for release on a Friday morning as we're sitting here watching the final groups of the first round of the Masters take their paces about the most beautiful piece of real estate in the United States of America. You know, I almost got a job down in, uh, in Augusta a few years ago. Was it your personality that didn't make the cut at the end? or what uh, was I don't it? know. They hired somebody from Penn State, um, but it was like right out of right out of college. Uh, I was going to be their preps guy, but then I but then I wasn't. Oh, the Chronicle? Yes. Uh, and so all their guys down there, it's pretty much everybody on, on board for all hands on deck for the master. So that would have been cool. I didn't actually go to the course. I did drive by it. So that that started the chain of events that led you to 24-7 sports. Yeah, and it was funny. I think, like, the day that I uh, I was actually covering a Tennessee practice for the News Sentinel because I think Dave Hooker left, like, in July. They didn't have anybody hired. I had been stringing for him for about a year. They, kept, they said, hey, can you do, like, a week of weekend of practice, of camp? And I ended up doing, like, two months of the season wow. <laughs> because they didn't hire anybody, and so... Uh, I think I was actually covering a practice when Augusta called me. He's like, hey, you, we're not, we're going a different direction. That was back when newspapers had money to spend. Exactly. And what's funny is that everyone has like this, vi- like this vision of, of like Augusta's this most really beautiful place. No. <laughs> it's like not that at all. I mean, it's a nice little place, but like, like, t- t- like 10 minutes from here, it's like, it's, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a downtown and like a not good part of town. It's kind of like all those like mid-sized cities in Georgia. They're all kind of like that Augusta, Valdosta, you know, they're, they're, Macon, they're all kind of the same, really. I'm sure there's lots of 
Go Vols 24-7 podcast listeners and all those places. So. I was going to say, you're going to get some angry emails from <laughs> people in Macon now. Well, you know, it wouldn't be the first time we've gotten angry emails. However, you know, what also makes people angry is Tennessee uh, football recently. Tennessee football has not been very good recently. However, there is a new era. This is Jeremy Pruitt's first spring with the Volunteers. They've still gone going through spring camp. What is this, the end of the third week or sort of the tail end of the third week of the five weeks of spring We're officially camp? past the halfway point. That's true. And uh, what have we learned, guys? Maybe not a lot, but we'll talk about what we have learned. Tennessee will learn a lot more about its players because on Saturday will be the first scrimmage of spring camp. Now, we don't know exactly uh, what we will hear from that scrimmage. We don't know if we'll see any clips. We don't know if we will uh, be given stats. We don't know if we'll be here of any highlights. I can guarantee you we won't hear stats. But Jeremy Pruitt has yet to mention a single individual player which really, is, which since is, spring practice started, which, which is impressive. That that's, guys. I, I don't know that. First off, whether people care or not a, is a matter for debate. But I'm just saying it's flat out interesting to me. Yeah. And, and again, not a complaint. This is fascinating. I'm a little bit impressed at this point. We are now through. Uh, what how have there been? What seven? Eight. Eight. Eight practices now, and Saturday will be the ninth. So through eight practices. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt has not uttered the word of a single individual Tennessee football player at all. But he's also not said the word individual either. Yeah, that's true. Well, any single Tennessee player. What do we, I mean, you know. And and what what, what might happen here is if, say, he's a little bit more detailed after the scrimmage on Saturday. Oh, you know, Derek Antonio had a good good scrimmage. We had, you know, Brandon Johnson had a couple touchdowns. What that's going to do now is it, going to be like, oh, he, he mentioned this guy. He must be doing, wow. he must be having a really good spring. Or he wow. must have been he really said, good. He said a name. Yeah, it's going to, now you're just like building up to where if he says, if he says so-and-so by, if he, if he lets it slip, so-and-so's had a good spring, it's going to be like, okay, this guy really must be balling out because he's not mentioned anybody, but he just mentioned this guy. I don't, I don't think, that's why I don't think we're going to hear anything. I think that he might give us, like, just like he's done in, in recent practices, talking about the offense having a good day. I think that's about what we're going to hear out of the scrimmage, if I had to guess. I think we're going to hear you know, the offense had another good day or the defense bounced back and made more plays today or won the day, whatever. We might get some general feedback on how both sides of the ball or even a position group, if we're lucky, is looking. But I doubt we're going to hear much of anything that's going to really indicate who's winning a starting a, a battle for a starting job or anything like that. It's going to be more of the same, I think. The, and the, ult- the ultimate curveball would be if they gave us some stats. That would be crazy. After just that could be totally made up. Yeah, yeah. That, that's I've always wondered if, in, if if they just give us completely fabricated stats just to do we it. We haven't gotten stats for a scrimmage in ages. Though. Yes. Oh, I'm not expecting anything like that. But we're just, we're just discussing that the other day. Like, remember when we used to get stats for scrimmages, and now that idea seems like laughable. Remember, remember when Philip Fulmer was the coach and we watched scrimmages? Yeah, uh, we watched some under Butch though too. Some of those early we? ones, right? In the spring, I think. Hey, there there were open practices. There was that. Yeah, and then, that's true. And okay, there's, yeah. There's yeah. going to be an open practice for this team in the fall as well. No, th- like. th- there were scrimmages early on under Butch in the spring that were open. We couldn't, like, live tweet them. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is is that always – this is always the interesting scrimmage because media aren't allowed there, but you've got hundreds of coaches that yep. are going to be in attendance. Because Coaches Clinic Weekend. Um, hopefully some of them are loyal GoVols 24-7 subscribers and will – have a running play-by-play on our this, board. This if you're, is where if you're out there and you're listening to it, yeah, please do. That. Information does leak, and that's that's. This is one where yeah, there's usually some details that slip out. So I, if I had to guess, I think we'll hear some stuff secondhand through some of that. And, and if you, by the way, we're not soliciting. However, if you do happen to, I might give you a comp or something. Yeah, yeah submissions. Give you some some months free. If you happen to see anything from Tennessee scrimmage that you might think the public at large might find interesting. What you could do is you could uh, email them to uh, uh, Wes at WesRucker.com or Ryan.Callahan at CBSInteractive.com or Patrick.Brown at CBSInteractive.com. If if you happen to just whatever you do, don't email it to Ramey. He doesn't deserve it. He's not here. He's not putting in the effort. That's right. He's not going to get it. If you email it to Wes, he might not check it. I'll, that's true. Should I'll, we just should we just put your uh, cell phone number on that's, there? That's on a here? fair point. So put yeah. his Twitter handle on there, maybe. Yeah, that might be a, that might be a, an easier way to to I've get that information across. I've seen your fiance tweet at you to get your attention. Yeah, that's true. That does um, happen occasionally. <laughs> but uh, I also if you're a, if you're in law enforcement or if you're a high school coach and you would like to work for Govals twenty four seven, apparently you would have more access to the team than we ever will have. So if you want to go to practice and kind of report for us. 
anonymously, you know. I got a couple. Up? I got a couple KPD buddies. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna yeah. have to to get them on the on the hunt. And be like, listen, you, I'm gonna need you to go to practice. You've got buddies everywhere. Um. Well, is 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 that suddenly? Is there something wrong with that's, that? That's what no, a, it's just a statement of fact. I say an observation. That's I'm, what I, I'm old. I've I've accumulated friendships over the years because I'm old. A Dancing with the Knoxville Stars participant should have those kinds of friends, Patrick. That's true. Uh, if you would like to perhaps trade some uh, Tennessee football practice information for uh, for some Dancing with the Knoxville Stars tickets, perhaps perhaps we could arrange that. But I'll I'll tell you what, and and I mean this when I when I say. This whole thing with Pruitt so far and not saying anyone's name, to the larger point, even if it's not been great for us necessarily, and by us I mean 24-7 sports, Go Balls 24-7, the media writ large, uh, I, I do think that I have been impressed with the discipline with which Pruitt carries himself because he seems to come across honestly. He, he seems to come across earnestly. It, it, he, he, he'll take a second – just a second to make sure what he's about to say is what he wants to say. He starts every answer with the word "well." Yeah, it, well, well, that's almost like his timing mechanism. Think, you know? Things for a couple seconds. Yeah, it's, it's very it, George Quarles esque. And, and it, it seems like he processes pretty. Shout out to Maryville. Yeah, it seems like he processes pretty quickly. And Furman. This is how this will be perceived. So this is what I'm going to say. And the reason why I think it's really interesting that that he's been like this is that you got to remember, aside from his one year at or a couple of years at Georgia, he has not dealt with media since he was a high school coach. He, he's not, he's, when you're Saban, you're a Saban assistant or you're a Jimbo Fisher assistant, you're talking to the media at most twice a year. Well, I was going to say, two, three times a year. That's enough, it. yeah, enough practice that you're not incapable of doing it. But yeah, it's different. But he's done such a good job. And of, he's never been a head coach even at yeah, the high school level. So uh, this is, this is new territory to have to do it all the time like this. Yeah. And he, he will have no problem admitting. Yeah. Probably know more about defense than I do offense. I'm going to spend most of my time with those guys. I, I, I trust, I trust Tyson Helton and those guys to do a good job on their side of the ball. And he'll admit guys, I'm not saying names right now because I don't know who deserves it and who doesn't. I don't know how they're going to react. Or, or is that just... I don't, I, don't know, I don't know how they're going to respond. If I praise one of these guys publicly, are they going to stop playing hard? Are they going to... and he Or how will the teammates react Do to we, it? This yeah. is all... I think... Now, has it been a little frustrating from our point of view? Sure, but, but no one cares about that, and, and that's fine. But to me, it's impressive that he's got that much discipline already because that's not something... When you're a first-time head coach... That is not something that's guaranteed. No. You 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 have no idea. I mean, there were how many times did and Butch Jones is a guy who had a lot of practice. How many times did he just say the dumbest thing in front of reporters? And he tried so hard to <laughs> not we, do is it. Is it different again. by year five? No, no, no. Here we no. go again. Why do you always Patrick, I'm telling you, <laughs> this is again. I do it because it gets you so affected. <laughs> it gets you so affected. My point is. We see this, and not just with not just with Tennessee's previous football coach. We've seen this with coaches all over the country. They just don't help themselves with what they say and why they say it. And I think this guy seems to be doing a pretty good job of keeping a disciplined, controlled message. Now, if you win games, people are going to write good things about you, and people are going to say good things about you. If you lose games, people are going to write bad things about you, and people are going to say bad things about you. So the best PR, and Pruitt himself has said this, is winning games. However, he seems to be, and Philip Fulmer, when I, when I talked to him, mentioned that, that Pruitt went into every talk with a clear kind of vision and plan, and he gave all the right answers. He said all the right things. And I, I think we're starting to see how that that bit of his personality you know you can see why so many coaches like him i think you can see why he's just a football guy but he has some natural ability now now we'll see if they go you know three and nine or four and eight next season and he's getting questions from us every week he might come apart at the seams because we'll see he hadn't lost very much in his career so if that happens well you know he may be a really terrible loser We'll, we'll wait and see but but i like what i've seen so far from him in that kind of setting, he has some personality, but he keeps everything in control, and he seems to know what he's saying and ha- what kind of effect it will have or not have. And I, I'm impressed by that. Yeah, I, I am too. Like you said, it's, it's he's not a guy who's had a lot of practice. I mean, he's never done this as a head coach, so he's not had to think about these things. But it's, it, it almost strikes you as a guy who's been going through the motions as a head coach in his mind, thinking, yeah. how would I handle this situation? What would I say over the years as he's gone through his career? Because he is so 
um, so smooth about it. And maybe it just comes naturally to him. I don't know. But being around a few head coaches who, who maybe handle things kind of like what he wanted to just kind of gave him, uh, allowed him to his mind to become an extension of Nick Saban's and of Jimbo Fisher's and, yeah. and even Mark Rick to some degree. So I, I think it is fascinating that he's handled this this well and, like you said, been so disciplined in his message. I, I'm intrigued by what the motivation is because I wonder if it is as simple as just, you know, not wanting to praise a player to see if he's going to react that way. I, I wonder if it is just trying to keep everything a secret because you believe the element of surprise is playing in your favor that much this year. might be one of the only advantages you have. Yeah. If it's that, if it's, you know, I, I've thought about this, you know, if he, if he comes out and says too much about Jarrett Garantano, for instance, having a good spring, if that was something he wanted to say or, or was tempted to say, are you maybe a little worried that if you come out and say something like that, you still have Keller Christ out there. Who's not on campus yet. Who hasn't enrolled. Do you risk scaring off a guy like that? Who's coming in this summer by coming out and saying a lot, you've got nine, uh, junior college or graduate transfer players coming in uh, either already on campus or coming in this uh, this summer and some of those guys aren't here yet do you risk maybe scaring off someone like that by complimenting someone or saying that a you know a specific player is looking really good or anything like that there could be multiple reasons for it but I just find it fascinating that he's wanted to go to such lengths to to kind of just downplay or not downplay but just not reveal even who might be off to a good start or who might not be or whatever and it's this time of year, it's usually nothing but positives for the most part. This isn't where you're looking to decide on a starting lineup. So it's just interesting that you're, you know, kind of passing on a chance to to at least compliment some of your players for a job well done. What do you think over there, uh, Butch Jr.? <laughs> See, now, now you're just you're going low. I didn't. I didn't. I mean, I, I started it at a pretty high level. You're the one who That's, dragged you're, it you're down. Not into the a lot of, you're not showing a lot of resiliency right now. It's true. I'm, I am showing 63 effort, though, in coming after you. Um, I think first of all, uh, what what this has made us, you know, the, the effect this had is is that we as the media have to get one percent better on our questions. Clearly, yep. Because um, you have to sort of uh, come at things a different way, and so he, you know, I think was it West? You asked about uh, the edge defenders. Yep. Have a good answer on that. Uh, There's a question about the huddling and the tempo, and and he sort of was like, "How do you know we're huddling? How do you know we're huddling?" Which you've been over, you've been over, you've been over there to practice, but he kind of, he kind of said it. Yeah. The way he said it like that was sort of like, uh, he wasn't being serious, but maybe he was. It was a a question. It was a leading question, assuming that Tennessee's not huddling as much. And so that kind of got him to talk about it a little Uh, bit. And and, you had a good answer about, um, the offensive line. He he said, Hey, they're, they're getting better. Mm -hmm. Uh, whoever asked about the cornerbacks the other day, I think that might've been you again, Wes. The corners, yes. Yes. Uh, he, I thought that was a pretty good answer. Uh, he, he gave a really good answer to me when I asked him about David Johnson and sort of how that came about. I was going to um, say, he's very good about discussing processes as a coach yeah. or a coaching staff. He loves discussing that type well, of the, stuff. Well, the fact that he said the other day that like he went back, he was asked about, what do you want to see from the scrimmage? And then a couple of questions later, he went back to it and said, y'all ask me about it. I can sit here and talk about it for 24 hours. Coaching philosophy. It's a scrimmage in spring. I mean, that's just that's how he is. And in some of the interactions I've had with him, like he's just – a ball coach, you start talking about another team, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, he, he, he'll he'll ask questions and he'll talk about it, he'll have, you know, conversations, and it's just, um, he's just, he's wired a very, he's just a, wired as a football coach when he's in that setting. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I think that he is being very careful about what he says because I, I do think on some level, and again, this is just from people around him that I've talked to, if they were to be honest about what they have right now, it would not be a lot of positivity. Uh, I think they know they don't want to assume anything, but when you're a new coach and you're coming into a situation where a team wasn't very good, you, you don't exactly go in there in love with all the players. You walk that's, in there thinking, well, if they were so good, how did they get this last guy fired? Yeah. How did they? And, and that's just, they don't mean to be derogatory, but they just, they see things, you know, they're just such type A guys, and it's like you're either a stud or you're well, terrible. And they just, I think if he were to be honest, he if you look at the teams he's been coaching and you look at what he's coaching now, if he were to be honest about what he has right now, people might not like, the players especially, might not like hearing that. Well, and he might not want to compliment guys if he doesn't really mean it. So he, he might yeah. be the kind of guy who doesn't want to either lie or lead people into thinking someone's really better than they are. Yes. So that's, that's it, absolutely fair. And that's a complete opposite from what we have been used to covering because yeah. this previous staff uh, with Butch Jones and his guys, they were not hesitant to pump guys up and say, hey, guys are doing well. And then that creates expectations when 
uh, you know, Steve Stripling comes out and says Kyle Phillips is the next Derek Barnett, and we haven't seen Kyle Phillips do that. He's been a decent player. It's also he's been healthy. It's but everyone's you know calling him a bust because he hasn't you know lit the world on fire because I mean, he was a five star and all that stuff. But I mean, you can count maybe on you probably need two hands to count how many guys that you know, the previous staff did that too, where they sort of yep. wrote uh, checks they couldn't cash. Yeah, I mean they they pumped up guys or said that hey you know this guy deserves playing time or this guy's looking really good and then either they didn't play that person uh, because it was a young player or whatever and didn't trust that or uh, they just you know. It, it, the player didn't live up to that, and, and everyone you know on the outside says, well, what's wrong with so-and-so? And so this is the exact opposite of that, and it's just we're, we're adjusting to it and talking well, about it a lot. Well, so yeah. that's, that's why I tried to come at it a different way, and I was promptly swatted away when I asked about the quarterbacks this week. I, oh, yeah, you tried to remind him, hey, remember you said this, uh, you were going to do this, uh, now it's time for that. Are, well, are well, well no, no, I, I was talking about, <laughs> I I, well, about the question where I said, you know, going into spring practice, he had actually mentioned that Jared Garantano showed him some toughness, and when Tennessee played Alabama last year and things like that. So I wanted to know, since he didn't know much more about the quarterbacks beyond that, going into the spring, I said, hey, what have you learned about the quarterbacks? I didn't even say what have they done well, how have they performed, anything like that. I just wanted to know if he learned anything about them personality-wise, player-wise, anything, and he still just wanted nothing to do with it. So anything about that, it, it's, it's interesting, though, because, yeah, it, it could be about not wanting to hype players that he doesn't truly believe in yet, but it goes even deeper than that because he's not wanting to say anything specific really good or bad. The only thing we've heard really that I can think of this spring just off the top of my head is he complimented Garantano for throwing the ball away one day. Um, <laughs> that's about the only thing we've heard really about a specific player and how he's performed. It's interesting you bring up what he said about Garantano. In that particular setting, uh, there were a lot of questions about Keller Christ. Mm-hmm. And after about three or four of them, he was like, is someone going to ask me about Derek Garantano? <laughs> and that's kind of how he started talking about him, is that there was another player that he was kept getting asked about. And, mm-hmm. and you know, y- you could kind of tell he was like, let's talk about the other guy. I mean, let's, let's not all, you know, let's not anoint this guy, the starting quarterback, just yet. Uh, and so that's, you know, that was, yeah, that's as much as he said about any one player. And I think he, it, he, he talked a lot about, a little bit about Tyler Bird, too. And his and why he, why they're playing him at safety? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was something that that I asked him to Ooh, expound good, on. Good memory there. He did mm-hmm. do that. Well, I, just because I asked question because he talked about uh, both him and and Phil's me and it was about defensive backs. If you get him on defensive backs, you've got a shot because yeah, he loves talking DBs. That's his yeah. That's his forte. That's where that's his area of expertise. But yeah, he, I thought it. I thought that was a good answer on that. And mm-hmm. again, if you ask him a football question, that's he's gonna. He's going to light up because that's what he does. Yeah, and, and what just in, don't ask him about any individual players. Though. And if you want to know whether the players are listening to their new coach, uh, the the very first I didn't inter- hear Nigel Warrior. Apparently, Nigel went full on like Nigel extension War- of his coach. That, that was the first interview of Nigel Warrior's uh, college career, and and he uh, basically would not discuss anything to the point where a couple guys. I was laughing. I think a couple guys were actually a little bit frustrated i was just kind of laughing because i thought i mean this is hysterical yeah because he went out there and he would not even say what how much weight he's gained since he's been at tennessee who's getting frustrated let's name some names let's get juicy (laughs) there were some people who were frustrated about god why, why are they even talking i'm like i don't know hey we didn't get anything for the first six seven practices hey, so hey. i so if they're going to say anything at all if they're going to come out and talk that's progress in my book they i'm not going to complain they said words they didn't really reveal a whole lot i i will yeah. give credit to corte sap because whether he was supposed to do it or not he actually showed a little bit uh he, he revealed a little bit without going too far i thought so he did the best job of balancing being himself with doing what they wanted whereas drew richmond i i must have been six or seven times just repeated uh I just got my head. We're just going to keep our head down and go to work. And that, the way Warriors kind of go to line was just trying to be better than we were last year. Yeah. He just kept so he kept going back to that. We're just trying to be better than we were last year. And he did not want to speak about uh, the new guys that are coming to the secondary. That'd be Tyler Bird and Colin Fields and me. And uh, he was asked once and, and didn't answer it. And then the second time he was asked to follow up about it, and he just did not say anything. There were no no comments <laughs> from any of them. He just kind of looked and smirked like, I ain't going to do it. And by the way, this was Tuesday. We didn't uh, mention that. It was the first time players were made available. Yeah, that's spring. what I'm saying. Yeah, that's, and that's, this is three players. It was Corte Sapp, Drew Richmond, Nigel Warrior. And all three of them that were asked, literally, I, 
I don't remember even Sapp saying anything about any of his teammates, really. Um, so he clear. said a little bit about Will Ignott. The, uh, yeah. uh, the funny thing he said was he was asked about Daryl Taylor playing outside linebacker. He's like, well, I'm not outside linbacker anymore, so I don't know. You'll have to ask and, him and about so, it. And so that's a and, good yeah. shrug off there. Yeah, and, and I thought Sapp, I thought Sapp said, some, said some good stuff. I think Richmond did say a couple things, except you just – that's what I'm saying. Like, we as a media need to adjust because if you ask about specific guys, you know what you're going to get. It's almost mm-hmm. like when we hear other people ask – how so-and-so looking or whatever, you're just like, oh, he's not going to answer my, it. Like, you t- got to come at it a different angle or ask a different question. The yeah. two highlights of the Warrior uh, non-interview interview to me were when he was asked about Craig Fitzgerald, the new strength coach and that staff, he praised him. He's like, man, the, those guys, it's great. Starts with Craig, fits on down. We love working with them. It's great. So someone said, okay, so so what's different? He's like, um, not pr- pretty much nothing. It's pretty much the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, okay. I see how it is. And then so he, he raved about how much they like the new defense. And then someone said, okay, so so what's different about this defense? And he goes, uh, pr- pretty much nothing. No, nope. pretty, mu- pretty much the same stuff, just football. I'm just here to play football. I'm not, I'm not a coach. And, and he was – I mean, it, it was – to me, that was – if you want an indication that they are listening to their coach and they are following the message, they are staying on message because that was impressive, the, the level to which a couple of those guys especially – did not say well, anything. And Corte Sapp, you know, essentially downplayed moving from 4-3 outside linebacker to 3-4 inside linebacker, which is a pretty significant difference, especially when you're trying to add weight and things like that. Yep. Essentially downplayed that as, ah, it's not, not really all that, all that different from what yeah. I was doing before. So, so just football. Yeah, you're not going to give me any specifics on stuff like that. I was asked, um, I, I do a weekly mailbag. It's where I take questions on the board, put in a story, and, and someone asked me about more or less why our, our – why were these players so hesitant to talk about the past? Why are they so hesitant to talk about differences and all these things? And uh, I think there's a couple of theories. That, first of all, I think for this particular program, forget it. They don't want to talk about last year. Yeah, I mean, Jerusalem put it. You know, la- worrying about last year is, is not going to do anything for us. So we're not doing it. Well, if you remember what that felt like and do everything in your power to not feel it again, you can draw. I don't from even that. think they're. I don't even know if they're using it as motivation. Yeah, I just I, think, that, I just think the, they flushed it. I've heard that approach from teams before. That part actually doesn't surprise me because I don't think that's so much a Pruitt thing. I think that's a. I think it's a good way of saying, hey, don't even acknowledge that that happened. Basically, it, 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 move we, on. And we've seen, you know, you know, there, I think the three of us covered enough coaching changes and transitions where a lot of times players will, they'll, they don't want to, you know, they don't want to throw the other guys under the bus. That too. Some of them do, and some of them probably have privately, but publicly they're just not going to do that. And some situations, I mean, uh, for some of these guys, they played for Butch Jones and those coaches mm-hmm. for a few years, and those guys, you know, recruited them, they build relationships. It's a different dynamic than. Uh, and they feel they, like they got those guys fired to a certain extent because they didn't perform on the field. In some cases, those guys are yeah. that conscientious. Oh, I know it's happened with some guys. Yeah. They feel yeah. like they get guys fired. Yeah, I mean, and so that's why you don't see a lot of, you know, con- you know, comparisons to, you know, how is the staff different or, you know, all, all that stuff. I think, I think players probably, and they probably were instructed to do so. Let's not be, let's not beat around that, but they just – they just, you know, there's not a, they don't find any benefit to throwing the other staff under the bus and saying, oh, we're doing this thing, all this stuff different, and it's so much better. These and guys we're actually can getting coached teach so and, much better. Yeah. And, I mean, it, you know, I, I think Sab, one of the funny things Sab said was like, it's still football, you know, still, you got to go tackle the ball carry. He was talking about practice. Yeah. And, and all this stuff. I mean, it, it, it is football when it gets down to it. But uh, there are, I mean, just going out to practice is now you see a lot of, I would say, significant differences in just how this staff approaches. <laughs> Well, but but if you're a player, staff. if you're a player, you have to pretty much. If you're a player and you want to succeed under a new staff, I think part of you almost has to believe that it was the previous staff holding you back. Because if it wasn't, yeah. then it was just you sucking, and you're going to suck no matter who your coach is. So yeah. you have to believe that it was. I'm not saying that you do, that you dodge responsibility, but you have to think in your mind if you're a competitor, you got to think, yeah, we could have been better, but we could have been coached a lot better, and we can go out there because that gives you faith that you can be better next year. And I think this is a process too. This isn't something that this these players and the staff are just going to mesh overnight. I mean, this is going to take spring into the off season. Um, there's this coach, this staff is throwing a lot at this at this team right now in terms of just how intense they are in practice, how demanding they are, how I guess detailed and all that stuff. And and they're throwing a lot in terms of install. I mean, Pruitt and I've said it before. Pruitt said this week this program is starting from scratch. Like yeah. they are everybody's starting at the same point. That's why. It's not an assumption that just because a player 
has been starting doesn't mean they're going to be a starter for the staff. It's just, yeah, coaches never have more leverage over players than they do before they've coached a game because they because these guys have not done anything wrong. They've not taken a step wrong. All these Tennessee players know is that these guys come from programs where they won championships, where they won a lot of games, and they know that they need to impress these guys. Because after the coaches go out there and if they get booed by the fans or you know if if they go four and eight in the first year, then these guys are thinking, well, what's so who are what do these guys know? Right now is when the coaches have all the leverage and they need to use it because they need to get every bit of juice they can out of what they have if they want to go to a bowl game. Well, I thought in some ways the most revealing thing Corte Sapp said was that, you know, the, this staff, um, he he thought this staff is uh, – I lost my train of thought there. Pat Corte Sapp. They're talking about how they will come at you. Uh, that was part of it, yeah. What do you, how do you say that? Uh, he said they'll call you out if you make a mistake and you'll correct it, but they're just talking about setting standards at different positions. Is that yeah. what you're going for? That was that was one of the things. It'll come back to me in a second, but essentially that he was he was sort of acknowledging. Oh, he said that some guys embrace or handle coaching changes differently than yeah. others. I thought that was actually revealing because he acknowledged yeah. that some people behind the scenes might not be happy about every single thing. Yeah, if you were some, starting and playing a position yeah. you loved, and now you you're fighting to to compete just to play at a spot that you don't love anymore because your role is different that you don't feel a guy like Jonathan Congo or Kyle Phillips might feel a little out of place in this system because they're used to playing defensive end in a four, three system. So Taylor, I mean, some of those guys could be like, what am I, what am I doing right now? So, so maybe inadvertently, I thought that was in some ways revealing that. Yeah. I mean, during these coaching changes, sure. A lot of people are happy about a fresh start and about a staff that does things differently. And they do think maybe they're being coached by a a better staff overall, but some people aren't going to be happy about these changes for obvious reasons. It might affect playing time. Jared Garantano might, might not like this because hey the former staff was probably going to start him this year this new staff not guaranteed so. yeah and if you're a guy there are some guys like sap who are such kind of good kids and smart kids that every coach who ever coaches them is going to love them because they give you everything they have they they will try to do everything you tell them to do and, and i think a majority of kids are pretty much like that but there are definitely kids who are not like that and they had to be coddled a little bit by the previous staff because that's that's where the leverage was. That's what they had to do. They were fighting for their jobs, and to do that, they had to try to get everything they could out of players who, in some cases, already knew that they'd expose the coaches. So, mm-hmm. it, you know, it, it was not the power struggle, power dynamic was a little bit different. And now it's it's just, to me, it's fascinating that, that all that. And speaking of, you were just talking about some position changes. We can be quick about this. No guys who were moved to a new position to start the Pruitt tenure, that'd be about six, seven guys, however many it was, uh, to our knowledge, none of them have moved back because we talked to Pruitt on Tuesday, and as Ryan asked him, yeah, this yeah. was this was after seven practices. You said that after seven practices, you were going to think about it, and Pruitt gave a great answer, which was, "I haven't seen film of the seventh practice yeah. yet." So yeah, I didn't want to. So, ha, Ryan! I, I figured he was going to say that. I almost acknowledged it in my question, but I was like, "No, I'm going to make him say that." You part. Pre, <laughs> you you pre callahan him in the question itself, which I thought was pretty impressive, but. Ha- I, I, no, I liked it. It was a Jedi mind trick of a question. I enjoyed it. <laughs> but, the, but there has been one position switch this has week. There? Yes. Um, a slight one, not an offensive guy going to defense. A, but a new cornerback, which we've seen already this spring, Carlin Phils and me moving from running back to cornerback. We saw Tyler Bird briefly get a look there. This week, Malik Gray, a guy that a lot of people actually have continued to ask, is he, is he moving to linebacker? And you know, we've kind of continued to say, no, he's not really a linebacker for this system. He's not that big. He's, he's always been in the 190, 195 range weight-wise, uh, if that probably at times. So he's, he's always been working at safety. And then this week we go out there and he's working with the corners. And it's a move that we had heard discussed. That surprised uh, me a lot. That we, we had heard discussion of that, that it might happen at some point this spring. And it's, it's definitely interesting because here's a guy who's playing linebacker essentially in high school never even like safety was even an adjustment for him and now you're talking about him playing cornerback the part of it that makes sense speed has never really been much of an issue this is a guy who can run at least in the four six range i would say mm-hmm. without any problems and that's that's on par with a lot of tennessee's cornerbacks i would mm-hmm. say yeah um, maybe even in the four five range and you give him that kind of speed a pretty big frame he's around six one or so about 190 pounds you give him that kind you know that kind of frame at cornerback, which we know is what the staff is looking for, he can play that press coverage that they want to to play. He can do that part of the game pretty well. It's just can he flip his hips and get downfield with receivers and things like that. There's some parts of it that would be a lot for him to learn, but interesting experiment to see if they can find something there and, and, and also maybe find the place where Malik Gray has the best chance to contribute. I think safety is a very complex position, especially a lot being asked in this system, I would say, under Jeremy Pruitt. So 
maybe cornerback a little bit more straightforward job description and gives him a better chance to use his skills. Yeah, I just wonder about I – th- I mentioned this a little bit during one of our Facebook Lives this week, but I, I just wonder – I've always thought Malik Gray was a, a little bit stiff as an athlete, and mm-hmm. if you're a corner and you're stiff, that's that's tough because you got to have the hip turn. you got to have – there are things that – you know, if you have good feet – and then good hips, you can figure out anything. You can figure out any position, at least give yourself a chance. Because that, like David Cutcliffe says, it starts with the feet and then it builds its way up. And I think that's the best way to look at football prospects. But I, I just wonder if he's quick enough to play corner. I know he's fast enough. I mean, he, he, he doesn't have elite speed, but he can run. I just wonder – and watch him go out there and be a terrific player for all we know. But I, I just I, – I don't, I don't know that he's got the kind of quickness to play that spot from what I've seen. Yeah, and I think – at least part of this defensive staff believes he can be a good player. Charles, Charles Kelly was Florida State's defensive coordinator now. Yes, he was. Now coaching Tennessee safeties. He, uh, Florida State was really kind of made a late push for uh, for Gray late in the process after he'd been uh, committed to Tennessee for a while. So, I mean, they, they want to see what he can do, and I think they're also sort of looking for answers at cornerback. You know, they pursued a, pursued a lot of big-time guys back in – January, December, yeah. January, February, you know, leading up into signing day. Didn't get any of them. Uh, they hosted a, a grad transfer on a visit earlier this month, and I think it was last month. We're in April now. Uh, from Stanford, Terrence Alexander. Yep. Sounds like he might end up at LSU. Good visiting, chance of that, I think. Visiting there this week, and then yep. they took a, a, a junior college cornerback commitment who's going to be here this summer. So clearly they think that that's an area where they need somebody to come in and at least solidify that a little bit more. So – um, I don't know. It I wasn't don't, a need, though. Remember, Jeremy Pruitt was adamant <laughs> on signing day. Who said that was a need? Uh, I think he was just frustrated. Who yeah. said that was a need? <laughs> it, it, that, the way that they finished, um, and I don't think Pruitt came out and tried to put a gloss on it on signing yeah. day, but uh, but you know, I don't. He was. It did not sit well with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I, way. I, I think this is very clearly. That, I mean, it, everyone knows that this is a, co- a position of concern for Tennessee, and uh, I think the fact that they're still moving guys there and still looking at every under every rock imaginable to try to find a grad transfer option or somebody at that, that spot, I, pretty clear to me that they are still searching there and they are very concerned and there. Very concerning for a DB's coach like Pruitt as well because he's been working with such yeah, good. Because he knows what he needs. Well, he's been working with such good players in the secondary. I mean, at Florida State, you know, he had talent there that played the national championship game. At Alabama, he always, of course, had talent. Even at Georgia that year, they weren't, uh, you know, the, the two years he was at Georgia, they weren't great both years, but they had good talent in the secondary. He, yeah. He's had... He's had players everywhere he's gone, and I'm sure he's looked at what he has at Tennessee and has said, we've got some work to do. Well, and, least, and that's a tough tough spot to be in as, in his spot. At least they don't have to open the season with Will Greer and West Virginia. That's yeah. true. That's a really good point. Because in case you all have missed this. Good luck with that. In case you all have, have missed this, uh, ten, or not Tennessee's ESPN's football, is it FPI, football, football power, football power, power index. index. Uh, they're, they're, they're st- statistics, statistical analysis of what Tennessee uh, is going to do this season. And it's got Tennessee at uh, 5.8 wins. Now, obviously. And 6.2 losses. Yeah, so clearly that means that they've put the over-under just below six wins, which, again, if I had to – if you asked me today, right now, what record does this team finish with? My best guess would be five and seven. Well, and here's the thing. So that, I mean, that's about, it's in in the same ballpark. I was going to say, it shows you that a six and six season is very much within the realm of possibility for this team, but also by having it just a shade under six, I think it's kind of dead on because it lets you know a five win season is absolutely possible with this, with this team. So, I mean, they're just, oh gosh, I think even a four win season is a possibility with this team. Well, and the the thing that strikes me, you look at this too, um, Tennessee only is ranked above above two teams in the SEC and projected wins and that's Kentucky and Vanderbilt. And if you were, asking me today which games might they be favored in an sec play i'd I'd probably give them vanderbilt kentucky it's a home game i'd probably give them at least a slight edge in that one and beyond that i don't know who Uh, it'll be interesting florida early in the season maybe you have a shot if you get off to a good start and beat west virginia maybe you could be favored in that one but otherwise that you know you look at it they legitimately might be favored in only five games this year yeah i think if tennessee wants to win six games you pull it, off it, a minor it, upset to do it. Probably. Yeah, it's going to have to win all five coin flip games, all five of them, mm-hmm. and then it's going to have to pick off one somewhere else. That's what it's going to have to well, do. Well, I wouldn't call it coin e- flip, ETSU coin flip. all those coin flip games. Or but, coin, no, up to coin flip. Like yeah. either the either the gimmies should be gimmies yeah. or coin flip games. They got to win all 
five games in which they're either favored or right there about now, the same. They need to people, win all those games. Some people would say Florida and South Carolina are coin flip games, too. I don't I, know if I would go that far. And right I now. wouldn't say they're quite coin flips, but I think they're very winnable for, for even a, a team in Tennessee's position. Sure, so, they should be in those. They shouldn't yeah. be embarrassed in those games. Yeah, so, and that's, you know, that's where, to me, um, I, I also think Jeremy Pruitt is kind of a good fit for, for what this team has and, and can maybe maximize what it has this year because he's a defensive-minded coach. He can work on their biggest weakness on defense, which is the secondary, or at least cornerback. It's just so hard to win games like it that is. in this era because there's so many points. It definitely there's... is. But if this defense can overachieve and they at least have enough talent on in the front seven on defense for sure, and maybe it's safety to where the defense can overachieve a little bit, that defense can keep them in games and maybe give them a shot to pull out a couple more of those. But, yeah, I do think this looks like a 6-6 six and six kind of team on paper, so that FPI projection seems about right. Well, I, I think I think half of Tennessee's schedule, I don't, you know, they're not going to beat George, Alabama, or Auburn. Yep. I feel pretty confident saying that. And those um, are the top three teams in this one. On April the 5th, 5th even yeah. though this is coming out on the 6th. I also, feel pretty confident, dates right. I also feel pretty confident that they're not going to lose East Tennessee State, Charlotte, and UTEP, which, by the way, in the FPI, UTEP is number 130 in the FBS. Um, I mean, they're, they're not very they're not very good. And, and I'm, I'm, I got distracted. No, uh, it, it, it's... U, FBS, uh, UTEP is 130th in the FBS. Wes, how many FBS teams are there? Uh, 130. That's correct. Uh, so both Charlotte and Utah are in the bottom 10 of this ranking if we're going by this. Um, so those three wins, and then I think the other six could go either way. I mean, yeah, South Carolina is going to be a tough game, but those I think that's been two pretty tough. Uh, I think it's pretty two pretty close games the past couple of years. Yeah, I, I think that, that... Florida, I mean, we'll see what Dan Mullen does in his first year, but that's, you know, their talent level isn't elite at this point. No, it's not. And then, you know, Missouri's got Drew Locke coming back, but... You know what? What are they going to do? You know what are they going to be like with Eric Dooley running the show on offense? <laughs> you're, I mean, if you're immediately counting on the the Mizzou offense plummeting because of his involvement, though, that might be expecting and, a bit and, much. That's and, a it's a tough game for Tennessee to win this year. I would, but say. it's at home and it's late yeah. in the season. Who knows where you know where, where where how the season has transpired at that point? But you know, you look at the West Virginia game. I mean, they're the FPI only has West Virginia at number thirty six, which I thought they'd be a little bit higher, but they only got them winning six point four games. But uh, you you look at that game. Yeah, I mean the thought of Tennessee's defense going up against, uh, what what you know that offense is daunting. It is, but at the same time, I mean West Virginia's defense was pretty bad last year. So, and you're and you're looking at a Tennessee offense that yes, it was terrible last year, but it has is going to go into this game because West Virginia's have no idea what to expect. They're gonna have no idea what to put, prepare for. Yeah, and so I mean, I mean that that, that's that's the one potential advantage that you have. I so, just I mean to I mean, me to me it's hard to win games in this area if you can't put points on the board. It's really hard. Now South Carolina was competitive last season and pretty decent despite not having a, a very good offense. So it's not like it's impossible, but it's just you're just playing every game on such a razor thin margin. Yeah, and, and maybe you catch a team on an off night. I mean, we saw it two years ago with, with Tennessee and South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina had no business in terms of talent and in terms of on paper right. beating Tennessee, but. Tennessee had it, they were off that night. Something was just whether it was Jalen Hurd, whatever it was, something was just off kilter. And, and South Carolina got off to a good start. They started believing. They had a crowd behind them, and and they pulled it off. And that was the win that got them to six wins. Uh, and I think you know I think Muschamp's done a great job these past two years of of doing more with less. And I, so that, that's again that's what if you're Tennessee these first couple of years at least until you get a couple of recruiting cycles in. I mean you're gonna have to you're gonna be hoping the staff can do less with, or do more with less because and that, that's kind of what the position they're going to be in. Yeah, and I wasn't saying, you know, win, winning games 10 to 9 or anything. I just was I just was talking about this this staff, you know, if they can overachieve on defense, it maybe gives you a chance for your offense to have an okay day and pull out a 24 to 20 or 27-24. Gives you a better chance than last year when they couldn't stop anybody when they really needed to. So that's that's where I think this staff could help them make a big a big leap from last year is keeping games in check where last year's defense couldn't. Yeah, I just the thing I'm looking at at this when I look at this team, every every game is its own game. So every season is clearly its own season. We we know that, and you, we've every seen game has a life of its own. But yeah, it has yep. its own flavor, as Mike DeBoard might say. <laughs> I, I just I look at it like this this nucleus of players by and large greatly disappointed last season to me and it, it, there was the coaching yes and that was a problem in a lot of ways but this team also just did not compete in some situations where I felt like it should have been competing and, and that that's why going into this season my expectations 
no matter who the coach was going to be, we're going to be, you're going to have to prove it to me now. Now, what, what do, what I think doesn't matter any more than or less than what anyone else thinks, but I just, I just look at this group of guys and I've seen this. So now I'm saying, okay, you're going to have to go prove to me that I'm not going to assume that like a Kentucky or Vanderbilt or something like that's in the bag. I'm not going to do it because these guys have lost repeatedly to yeah. Vanderbilt in recent history. So and I'm sorry. You, lost ha- to Kentucky last you year. got to go out there and prove that you are the kind of team that will definitely beat those teams. Or else I'm not, I mean, that that's what the onus is on them to prove it now because they just flat out got they embarrassed themselves in some ways last season. Yeah, and I think a lot of Tennessee fans, I think they've embraced Pruitt because he's such the antithesis of Butch Jones, but I also think a lot of them are in are in prove it mode. Uh, and that's I what think they got to be because then, two it, straight head coaches they've been burned for going all in on. Yeah, them, and, so. you, and you've got to be. I mean, that's just that's just how it's it's, it's got to be. And but even then, I mean, you, you look at this team last year, even with you know they they, they were. You know, better coaching, and they're probably seven and two going into, or seven and three going into the last couple of games. I mean, the Florida game was a game that should, you know, Tennessee should have won that game. South Carolina, the South Carolina game was there for the taking. Yep. This Kentucky game, that was a game that Tennessee more or less blew because they had every chance to put that game away and didn't do it. Yep. And so, you know, even the, you know, the Florida game, you say that was a John Kelly special. He was big reason why they, yeah, uh, they were in that game. So if you want to throw that one out of that equation, Kentucky and South Carolina was still two games at Tennessee. Will feel like and should have you know should have won and probably felt that they should have won at the time and so that's the thing about the SEC especially when you're not Georgia or Alabama and we keep grouping those two together now I think it's fair to do that a lot of these games are going to come down to just not a handful of plays but they're going to be close games and then coaching can make a big difference in that because not only coaching decisions but just sort of the attitude of your team uh, the attitude that you instill in your team so that's you know that, that that's where we're gonna have to see if this if this staff is a little bit better than the other staff, which I think I don't know what their record was in close games, but well, and in the Missouri game, it just let it that that was just a lack of competitive character, really, is what that was. That was just I mean, that was humiliating. That was you let a team like that so did, so do that to you. The Vanderbilt game, yeah, was I mean, you're you're, well. you're gonna let that, them do that to you. I think at that point, the, the team it just I mean that. But but see, this team's gonna be in situations like that again this season where it's going things aren't gonna go well early because. Other teams make plays, and they got some explosive athletes. You've got to have a backbone, and I, and I think hopefully the staff can can help them there. But I just I look at it, and I mean, if if this thing with Trey Smith doesn't happen, like if he if he's not able to come back, that's one of your maybe your best football player who's not on the team anymore, not able to play. I mean, there's just so many so many things have to go right. Let's not raise too many alarms about that because we no, still no no no. But I'm know, just saying, but, yeah. like we we don't know yet. But really quickly, we're going to end with some recruiting stuff. But just before we do that, the first scrimmage will be Saturday afternoon, and we've can already I, said we will see very little from this. Can I leave before the recruiting staff stuff? Since I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not the recruiting guy. Or do I have to stay here and I don't know anything about it? Fine, I'm not interested in what you have to say either, Patrick. I'm just kidding. How about that? I didn't say I was in, not interested. I just said I'd, I could just leave. Well, here's – I don't want to say I'm not interested. I'll say I'm, I'm not as informed as Ryan Callahan for certain. Now, really quickly before we move on to this recruiting stuff, because it has been a pretty nice week for Tennessee on the recruiting trail, what uh, what needs to happen Saturday? We're not going to see any highlights, I'm sure. We're not going to probably be given any stats. We're going to have to go off what they decide to tell us or not tell us. But what would be – what what needs to happen? What would be some good things for, for Tennessee that could happen in this first scrimmage? Yeah, I wonder if – you know. We've heard a couple of days of the offense having a pretty good day. I wonder if, if fans out there wouldn't feel better if the defense kind of controls things. I, I wonder if they would, you know, if, if it would be good for the team at least. It's usually a back and forth kind of a give and take throughout spring, yeah. throughout preseason camp. I, I think the defense, you could use that kind of day for the confidence, not only switching to a new complex scheme that's different than what this from what these players are used to doing, all that, you know, you're looking – They've talked about maybe Pruitt said this week maybe you simplify things to you know, even if they had to to run one play just to make things easy enough for guys to 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 show what they can do if you can at least have some potential there on defense I think you want to hear of the defense at least having a better day or making Jeremy Pruitt somewhat happier even though he might is he might be tough to please on defense so I think yeah he, I think that's part of what how he is I think he's just a defensive yeah. guy and he, he said before he just does not like it when the offense makes plays because he's been wired for so many years yeah. to not let the offense do anything so I think you want to hear that but I, I also think you want to hear a few turnovers I think if you're a Tennessee fan out there I, and, and if you're Jeremy Pruitt I think your best chance of winning some games and like we said stealing some of those toss-up games this year is taking care of the ball 
and, and quarterbacks making good decisions and things like that. So I think you want to see uh, the offense can, you know, avoid catastrophic mistakes. And, uh, and, and even if they're not making a ton of big plays, you want to at least see them doing some small things right like that. I think if you're if you're this coaching staff, I think you need to see how this both sides of the ball handle um, the communication and play calls and all those little things because you've thrown a lot at them. You want to see what they can retain, but you also, I mean, Pruitt said the other day that if they had to, they'd simplify it to where they only have to do one call just so they can see who can play. I don't think they want to have actually do that though. You know what I mean? I don't think they want to have to simplify it too much. I think they want to be able to see what. Uh, they, you don't want a bunch of lost guys running around there on defense. You don't want to have a bunch of, you know, mis, you know, communication issues where you can't get the play in and and all that stuff on offense. So I think that's a really basic thing that you want to see how how both sides of the ball respond and and I think you want to see who rises to the occasion. Who who not to you know we're talking about practice. We've been talking about practices. Now we're talking about a scrimmage. Scrimmages are different than practices yeah. to the staff. They want not it to a be, game though. Not a game. A scrimmage. Not a game. We're talking about a scrimmage. Uh, it's clear that the staff use scrimmages differently than they do practices, and so there's added emphasis, and they want to see who steps up and who can make plays uh, in what they want to be game-like situations. Now, it's not going to be – I mean, Pruitt talk, talked about making uh, the Orange and White game a game day, just about mm-hmm. – he talked about staying in a hotel, having yeah. game, you know, Saturday Can- morning meetings. Canceled fan day or fall walk. Yeah, August. yeah, they're going to do the fan day stuff in, in, in August. That's obviously going to be a big difference, I think. Yep. I'm interested to see what if you took a poll of the fan base. I'm sure the people that have been going to auto, you know, the autographs and fan days and all that stuff are probably disappointed. I wonder I, if that really hurts the turnout for the spring game. As a coach, yeah. though, as a coach, this is where you have all the leverage. You've never lost a game. You want to do it this way. They're but pretty I, much going to be I, like, I, all right. Again, I think you've established that you know you're you're all about ball now, and you're not about some yeah. of the marketing and the PR. That again, you have to do. Got to do a little bit of it though. Got to do a little bit of it, but you don't. I mean, Pruitt's not going to be a guy that's going to sacrifice PR if it. If, no, if he has a chance to make his football team better. And that's so true. that's that's just something that people are going to have to get used to. I mean, just what it is. But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, they, they want to see who responds. And the, pra- the the phrase that Pruitt keeps using is, you know, we want to see who our competitors are. And yeah. so that's, that's to go back to, you know, these players having to adjust to a new staff. I don't know how much the staff really even – how much stock they put into watching game tape from last season. I know they did. Yeah. But I mean, as Pruitt said a few times, I don't now know, that they I, had, now that they can see them on the field themselves. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Pruitt even said I, I I wasn't really watching to see if they were doing stuff right because I don't know what they were supposed to do. It's yeah. a different scheme, so they were just seeing who you know natural stuff. And he said he watched it like high school tape. So uh, it's going to be a very important evaluation tool, and uh, they we'll just have to see who steps up. Yeah, well, I, and I, if they tell us who steps up, right? I, I'm I'm looking at two two basic words here. Uh, competitors and playmakers that's what i'm i'm looking for now if you're a coach obviously you're going to want to see discipline and pre-snap discipline and and mental focus and all those things and that that's that's incredibly important i don't want to overlook that but i'm I'm talking about competitors who's going who's going to compete uh, who's going to compete for 50 50 ball who's going to make a play that that's what i'm looking for i'm looking for competitors and i'm looking for playmakers and that could be on offense that could be on defense you know i i want to see when the play breaks down can a quarterback make a play for you? Uh, you know, if if a free blitzer comes through, um, can you have an offensive lineman find a way to block his guy and also slow down the other guy? You know, can as a defensive player, when a play breaks down and a quarterback gets out of the pocket, can you show the reaction to go get him and prevent that from happening? You know, those kinds of things. Do you have instincts? Are you a competitor? And are you a playmaker? That's what I want to see because you want to start identifying before you sharpen things. Uh, you want to make sure that you know what you're sharpening with. You, you, want, you know, you, you have to build this thing around. Eventually, it's a team concept, but you play to your strengths. And if you're Tennessee, you need to start finding out what those strengths are so you can know what kind of identity you need to have going into the season, I yeah. think. Yeah, one thing I'd love to know, and I'm not sure we'll get much of an explanation on this, but I, I wonder if they will go out of their way not to show – or not, not so much not to show a whole lot, but simplify things because they have wanted to see who's going to compete, who's going to respond well in this setting, not so much worry about the installation, or if they will go you know, to, to everything they've installed and see how much they've retained. I'm, I'm curious about that because with, with all those coaches in attendance, you wonder about are you worried about some stuff getting out that you're working on. On top of that, you're all, you are just trying to see what you have to some degree in a game setting for the first time. So 
Is this game more about, or is this scrimmage more about evaluating the players or about evaluating the progress you've made within the scheme? I think that'll be an interesting balancing act sort of for the staff on Saturday. And it is more important how you finish a spring than how you start it. Yeah. But so, so this first scrimmage does not matter as much as the second scrimmage and definitely doesn't matter as much as the spring game. However, uh, it is the first, this day, Saturday will matter more than any of the other days before it have meant this spring because yep. you're going to see what guys can do uh, when it's 11 on 11. Uh, they've been doing a lot of thud so far this spring. I imagine they'll at least tackle a little bit more on Saturday. I don't know that, but I'm just guessing at least a little bit. So that adds another degree of difficulty to it. That changes things because you can say that, oh, you can practice just as well in shorts and thudding as you can when you're doing No, I don't think you can. I think it's the closest that you can come to simulating a game you know, it's like when you're a, a, a pitcher or hitter and you go through a simulated game, it's not the same as going through a game. It's not the same as going through, you know, uh, live bullets actually mattering. You know, it, it's not it, to me, it's not the same thing. So that's that's what I'm interested in seeing, at least in and, that game. And again, if you are a high school coach or a law enforcement, local law enforcement person, but mainly if you're a high school coach. And you're you're going to be at the clinic this weekend and attending the scrimmage, and you want to you know start a thread on GoBalls twenty four seven and just boom play by play, or if you just want to recap it all at once, or if you want to maintain your anonymity for certain, you can go to uh, you can go to email at wes at westrucker dot com, ryan dot callahan at cbs interactive dot com, yeah. patrick dot brown at cbs interactive dot com. You can uh, you or just hit us up on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, you know, do whatever you got to do. We're you know? there too. So yeah, I, I he's like, follow me back, bro, or just let us know who looks good. Slide into those DMs. We've, we've We're got, good with that. We've gotten to see so little this spring. Just let, just hearing who people thought looked good on Saturday might be interesting too. Hey, that that's what that's what. Hey, we're we we have no shame in this, guys. We have no shame in this. Before we get out of here, we will discuss recruiting. Now, a lot of the recruiting stuff stays behind the see paywall. You guys later. Clearly, however, there are some just things, kidding, especially. Uh, when commitments happen and when things like that, they we do emerge. We let Ryan emerge from the abyss of the paywall, and he, he <laughs> no, comes keep, out keep there. Keep him down there. Yeah, well, I mean, we you know, it's we only bring him out occasionally. You know, he, he can't just stay in the basement all the time. Ryan, what do we know about Tennessee's two commitments this week? Ladarius Cox, a three-star defensive tackle from Mobile, Alabama, big boy, 6'4", 305. And then uh, a, a throwback commitment basically from a Knoxville area or Knoxville native uh, Daryl Middleton Darrell Middleton six foot seven 290 pound defensive lineman used to be a uh, tight end prospect now he is uh, at least an inch taller about 40 pounds bigger and a defensive lineman so what can you tell us about these couple guys yeah a couple of big pickups I think Ladarius Cox for starters we'd seen a lot of defensive linemen visit this this spring and and for the junior days they had in late February and early March but we, we always kind of wondered, you know, where where are they with some of these guys? Where where are some of them on Tennessee's board? You know, this is the time of year you're kind of trying to sort through everybody. You're, you're getting to know – this staff's getting to know a bunch of new prospects uh, in addition to some they might be somewhat familiar with. And you're trying to sort them out, see what your staff's preferences are. Um, and, and you're extending new offers all the time, so you don't really know this time of year exactly where guys are on the board. So you wondered if Ladarius Cox was a guy way up there. Or, or not, and I think we got the answer. High, high enough to take. Yeah, I was saying, we got the answer this week, obviously, with, with him committing to Tennessee, and, and I think the timing of it's pretty interesting, too. He had just visited Tennessee one time, uh, about a month before he announced the decision. Uh, he'd been to Georgia, he'd been to LSU, he'd been to Ole Miss, but you know, really didn't feel a need to even come back to Tennessee a second time to, to decide on that, and, uh, and made it clear, I thought it was interesting, too, made it clear that he's not completely shutting the door in other schools yet. You know, He said, hey, I want to have this out of, out of the way before my senior season, even before spring football, be able to not worry about recruiting for a while and then kind of pick it up again just before signing day. So this is a guy who Alabama shown some interest. If Alabama offers, if Auburn gets more involved, if any of those schools, especially in-state, but even other teams get involved, this is one Tennessee might have to fight to hold on to. But regardless, a nice a nice pickup, as you said, 6'4", 305, and a guy who can play nose tackle in that 3-4 system. We talked before, a lot of people think, Terrence Cody when they think of nose tackles in the system not anymore not not these days you you were wanting more mobile guys and this is someone at 305 he can bulk up to Bama didn't have any more Terrence Cody's yeah right now he he could be 315 320 obviously pretty easily with his current frame and everything but uh not a guy that you necessarily need to be all that large but yet still athletic enough to to make some things happen in the middle of that defensive line and can play three technique if he needs to also maybe but also you like that he comes from a good program in Mobile and, and McGill Tool and Catholic High School. And I think if, if someone offers, if, if Bam and Auburn step in there harder and, and we'll see what happens there, but that's where it helps. 
I think Pruitt's history and his background in that state with those coaches, he and knows everybody down there he's, in Mobile. He's been down there. I, I think that doesn't guarantee anything because there is no such thing as a guarantee anymore in recruiting. Uh, however, I think that helps Tennessee a good bit that he has those relationships that he'll be able to to have at least he'll be able to bend the ear of people who can bend the ear of the kid. Yeah, and, and also uh, this another commitment happened last week, actually right after we recorded our podcast. That's true. Christian Story, the four-star class of 2020 athlete from Alabama, a top 100 prospect. And I, I think with that one especially, but also by getting Ladarius Cox, uh, it, it sent a message to Tennessee fans, if nothing else, uh, but to, to let people know that Tennessee can go into the state of Alabama and – Make some things happen in recruiting, and that's if you're going to hire a guy from there, you might yeah. as well get some benefits from well, from that area. Well, a lot of people on on you know the Goval's twenty four seven message board and and elsewhere have kind of wondered: Is this staff sort of wasting its time handing out all these offers in Alabama and spending all this time and energy recruiting that state when Alabama and Auburn get so many of the good players they want? Go where you know. Go where you and, know. And yeah, Jeremy Pruitt's got ties. Multiple assistant coaches on this staff have connections there and and have worked there in the past or, or have good relationships in certain areas of the state. So. I think you can recruit the state of Alabama. I think you can go in there and and make it a, a good use of your time to go down there and recruit, even if it's just you know signing guys like you know Gavin Bryant. Obviously, was a, a guy that Alabama recruited, but but wasn't a take for them uh, at, at that time. And Will Ignat, you know, same thing. Good players, uh, but just you know maybe not at the top of Alabama's board. Or even if Alabama and Auburn are still getting their pick of the best players in the state. Um, you're going in there and still still getting good players um, because that state does produce enough talent to make it worth your time. So I think that shows Tennessee can do some damage there uh, one way or another. And then Tennessee also picked up a commitment from a blast from the past commitment from a Darrell Middleton, a East, East Tennessee native, Knoxville area native, a big guy, uh, used to be a tight end prospect. Now he's about 6'7", 290 and a, uh, and a defensive tackle prospect, but a guy who uh, very clearly uh, is still a, a take for Tennessee. Yeah, and, and the one thing we don't know is, you know, when he might get to Tennessee. This is all sort of new. He got to a yeah. New we don't know what class he's in. Yet. He got to a new junior college in January, so he started his. He came out in the class of 2016 uh, out of Oak Ridge High School. He started his high school career at Powell uh, when he was originally committed to Tennessee as a freshman and sophomore in high school. Ends up his high school career at Oak Ridge didn't qualify academically, so he had to go to the junior college. Signed with Mississippi Gulf Coast in 2016. Went down there. His first year didn't go well, and he ended up leaving there. Sat out 2017 and then goes to East Mississippi in January. So he's just gotten there. They thought he was sort of going to blow up this spring with a lot of college interest and sort of commits to Tennessee before all that even gets started. So it's probably a good move for Tennessee. This is a guy who might have who, who might end up blowing up this spring with even more offers, and they might have to fight off some other teams for him. But you would think with him being a former Tennessee commitment and from the Vols' backyard, they've got a good chance to hold on to him. But yeah, this is the guy who could be – in theory, there might be a scenario because they just don't know yet uh, where he could get on campus and, and be a part of the 2018 season at Tennessee, uh, whether that would be you know finishing up some classes this summer to, to get in at the last minute or whatever. But it looks like the likely scenario is he gets uh, he's part of the 2019 class and doesn't graduate until at least December. So we'll see how that goes. They're still looking into that academic situation uh, because he's been in a couple of JUCOs to see uh, how close he might be to graduating and getting to Tennessee. But regardless... A nice pickup. You don't find six hundred or six foot, two hundred ninety pounds. Yeah, if you find some six hundred pounders, yeah. you're, you're really cooking with yeah. gas. At that but you point. don't find six foot seven, two hundred ninety pound guys every day. And, and obviously, he's always looked the part physically. But uh, now to pencil him in as, a, as maybe a three four defensive end and and this system uh, with that kind of athleticism at that he's running with the linebackers at East Mississippi. Um, so I think when you put those two things together, that's a that's the kind of player you want one way or another. And uh, a nice pickup to, for Tennessee to kind of take advantage of a guy that. Obviously, already had good ties to Tennessee. VFL, you know, VFL. But you know, I I do think that that he's a guy who physically has always looked the part. I remember watching him a little bit when he was in high school. It's just, is he going to do all the things that he needs to do academically? Is he going to you know keep his head on straight? If he does those things, then hey, you know, some guys get it later than others. And if he ever puts it together, he, he's kind of a nice a nice looking prospect. Uh, always has been. Ryan, yeah. any any other quick uh, tidbits? Any other news? Nuggets. Well, I was going to say on Middleton, I know some people have already kind of said because of his oh. past, uh, you know, don't don't count on him until he gets here, that kind of thing. In junior college, it's much more cut and dry when you don't qualify academically. You either graduate with the necessary GPA or you don't. And the, the GPA can be yeah. an issue at times, but for the most part, it's a simpler goal. They're, they're, you know, obviously, the players can get more help at the junior college level probably with Correct. tutors and things like that than, than at the high school level sometimes. So there are ways to... Uh, to 
it's an easier goal. It's a more attainable goal, I think, than than a test score in some cases. So I think I think there's a good chance he gets out. It's just a matter of when he gets out and, and probably as a member of the 2019 class. But, uh, yeah, Tennessee's hosted a number of visitors throughout the spring, and we're, we're continuing to see that. You know, this weekend they'll have a, a top 100 cornerback on campus, Christian Williams, again, from the state of Alabama. Uh, Tennessee continuing to get visitors from that state on campus and elsewhere. Um, you know, this week they, they had a, a couple top 200 players nationally, Chaffrey Brown, a four-star wide receiver from North Carolina, and then uh, Isaiah Foskey, a four-star tight end from De La Salle High School out in California who gave a shout-out to – Another De La Salle alum on Tennessee staff now, former Vols linebacker Kevin Simon. Uh, so to get guys like that on campus just for former mid- National Player of the Year. Yeah, Kevin and, Simon, and yeah. To, to, to get guys like that on campus for midweek visits, you know, we've seen that throughout the spring, but it's really impressive they've continued to do that. And now on Saturday, of course, they'll have more visitors, including Christian Williams. So uh, lots to, to check out right now on Go Vols 24-7, and, and we'll have plenty of coverage on that throughout the, the week and the, and the weekend. Uh, continuing to recap all these visits, because if you've been checking out the site, it's been – a lot of visit recaps because there's been a lot of guys on campus this spring and give Jeremy Pruitt staff credit for continuing to get guys to, to make the trip to Tennessee. And give us, give Govals 24-7 some credit too for, for the hustle. You can't knock the hustle. We're working hard over here, guys. Got to, got to put food on the table. Got to put food on the table. Thanks for listening this week, guys. Thanks for listening every week, honestly. And thanks for, thanks for being here. We'll be back next week with at least one podcast. We'll see if anything is especially newsworthy or anything interesting pops up we will do a second one but we'll at least have the one for sure so thanks for listening and we'll be back and before we get out of here very last thing etch.com slash dwtks it's not for me it's for the children of east tennessee children's hospital let's let's uh let's help those let's help those kids out etch.com slash dwtks pat any final thoughts no